So today we are delighted to welcome Sangeeta Waldron, founder of Serendipity PR and Media and author of Corporate Social Responsibility is Not Public Relations. Welcome to the Can Marketing Save the Podcast, Sangeeta. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really pleased uh, to be here and have this conversation with you. Fantastic. So, um, so fellow author talking about this very, very important topic. It's wonderful um, to have read your book. Introduce to us, Sangeeta, a little bit about why you felt the book was necessary and, and what you set out to achieve with, with your book. Well, there are many reasons why I decided to write this book. I mean, science has been telling us for a long time that the temperatures are increasing, certain animals are extinct um, and we're not looking after the planet and I believe that businesses have a role to play to heal the planet to make things better and I also think businesses are ready for a book like this Uh, big or small new or established businesses want to do better so this book will speak to them I've also worked in PR and media for a long time now and over the years I've seen different brands different organizations not acting with integrity, exploiting communities and causes. And so I want to write a book to show people in my profession how to do it right and also speak to businesses. This is how you do it. And it's easy to do. I also didn't want to write the usual kind of business book that's heavy and turgid, full of all the big jargon. I wanted to write a book that was easy and engaging And I believe we learn a lot through the power of stories, which is why I've collected these 15 different interviews from business leaders, thought leaders around the world, where they've shared their insights into corporate social responsibility. They're doing it. And importantly, they are doing it and making a profit. And I think that's really important. And I also wanted to showcase um, that we can learn from other countries around the world. So I have a special chapter on India. India is one of the first countries in the world in 2014 to actually mandate a CSR law, a corporate social responsibility law. And I think there is this also this thinking that the West teaches the East. And I think we actually have a lot to learn from the East with regards to sustainability, corporate social responsibility. And while I've been writing this book, the whole world has been touched by this pandemic which has made this book very relevant, very now. The pandemic has also shown us how connected we all are. Mm. Um, And I think during this time, we've all had time to reflect, not just us as individuals, companies, governments, organisations, and that we can see how the world can be. It can be a much better place than what we have been doing up until now. And also during the pandemic, we've had some very big conversations come to the forefront, diversity, inclusion, and diversity and inclusion are part of the CSR and business conversation. They're not separate. Uh, And we need to be getting our heads around these, especially if we are working in media, whether we're working in marketing, advertising, public relations. And I guess finally, I don't think there's enough women who talk about this, and I don't think there's enough women like me from ethnic backgrounds who are given the platform. So I wanted to try and change that in some way. 
Fantastic, Sangeeta. And, you know, I echo all of that. And you, it, it was it, I got that from your book. And what I particularly loved were these compelling interviews, the diversity, because I think we're all very familiar with some of the better known brands and big brands. Yeah. Everybody goes back to time and time again to show us kind of like paragons of being the great and the good when it comes to sustainability. And what I loved about your book was that diverse range of organizations operating all around the world because sometimes we become very siloed in our thinking and our reading and our understanding and what we see and I liked that you really exposed that and the richness of that you must have had a lot of fun uh, going around and finding all of these interviews tell tell me which ones really stand out for you well um, thank you I'm glad you you know you've enjoyed the the interviews because that was the the whole purpose of including them um I loved doing each and every one. Everyone was so different, so special. And it's very hard to choose. It's a bit like a, a, a mum asking, which is your favourite child? So um, I would say there are three that probably really stand out to me. And the first one was the first interview I did when we just went into lockdown last year. Uh, so it was March the 23rd. So this, this interview was just after that moment. And I spoke to Mark Dodds from Holden and Partners, which is a company that um, helps organizations and individuals to invest their money sustainably, ethically. And at that time, Mark spoke to me about the economic impact of this pandemic. And at that time, no one was talking about it at all. And I remember Mark said to me, it'll take more than 100 years for us to pay back this debt. And that just was like a a sort of like a a bell going off in my head. Um, And then there's there's a lovely uh, young entrepreneur called Aisha Rahim, who used to work in the city here in the UK. And she now has uh, gone over to Nigeria. She co-founded an organisation in Nigeria called Farms to You, which uses technology to empower the ordinary farmer. So um, helping them to farm sustainably, to get their produce to market and have the right price for it. I mean, she's just uh, a dynamic woman uh, doing what she's doing over there. I think the other um, favorite uh, interview I did was with the Indian yogi in chapter three of the book who talks about yoga creating a sustainable mindset. And that really spoke to me. And I just would like to add, um, there's one more story. Actually, there's two, but let me just talk about uh, Fred Huguez, um, who escaped LA uh, gang culture. And he's now doing amazing things in his local community, empowering the local people there. And he's also standing uh, uh, as a local councillor to change things through politics. And there's one more individual I just have to say who really inspired me. And whenever I think of him, it's probably not the right word to use these days, but I always think he's very infectious because he's just of his spirit. But that's James Quinn, CEO of Viridian that produces sodium ion batteries. And uh, James, I mean, he's got C, uh, he's got CSR coursing through his veins. You know, he's one of these very inspirational uh, CEOs. And I thought if I didn't have my own company, I'd want to go and work for him. And we need more CEOs like James in the world. He really understands that uh, CSR needs to be embedded into the culture, into the business strategy. 
So you talk about the interview with Aisha Rahim, um, mm. founder of Farm Stew. I thought it was really interesting. One part that really caught my eye and, and, and sort of made me think was around how when she was talking about the different nations within Africa and their approach and their knowledge to sustainability and how you know some are much further ahead in terms of their behaviours and the environment and their knowledge around the environment. But then when it came to CSR, she, she'd mentioned that, you know, there are some global corporations that have a different approach by country. And she felt certainly in Nigeria, those global corporations could be doing a lot more. And I was just wondering, do you think that the strategy of having a CSR approach by country, if you are a global corporate, is the right way to go? Or do you think there's an opportunity for global corporates to almost increase their CSR in countries where the knowledge is, you know, further behind so that they can make progress faster? It's a good question. Um, I think, I think each country, as you get to know the world, as I have through this book and what um, country, different countries are doing, every country is unique and they will have their own um, advantages and disadvantages. And I think really, if a country can implement a mandatory law to ensure that corporates that are operating there, not just local companies, but multinationals that are going in and abiding by their cultural rules and the, they understand the people and the planet in that area, I think that's a better approach than companies going in and just probably doing what they think is right. I mean, it almost comes across as a bit sort of um, piecemeal and lazy. I think if you've got a CSR strategy and you truly believe it, and this is just my view, and you truly believe in it, it should be the same wherever you take that CSR strategy, you know, and you you work around and almost try and where you can make more progress, go in there and, and, and drive that progress. I would agree, but it doesn't work that way. No, I know. And, and um, you know, just as you were talking there, it made me think of um, Coca-Cola, um, and some of these big brands that go, they have, you know, on their website, all the things that they do, they tick all these CSR boxes, but then they go into some of these poorer countries with vulnerable communities and they're not doing the right thing. They're not keeping the water clean or they're overusing the water table for their production. They're not cleaning up after their plastic. So, um, and I think they feel they can get away with it. And it's similar to, you know, having one product that's made out of fully recyclable plastic and marketing that one product, knowing that every other product they have is made out of virgin plastic, you know. Yeah. So it, it is that's the whole messaging. And this is the thing that we're really driving to move away from. I think the other thing, the other chapter I really enjoyed was your chapter about India, chapter three, as you said, um, and how that, you know, they've increased their levels of CR, CSR investment. Um, mm. I think you listed one point four billion dollars spent on initiatives which have been put into conservation and education and social welfare welfare and healthcare which you know when you read that you just think we need to you know we need to get those stories and that information out there because they're really progressing and advancing in this and it's what can we learn from from India to um to drive the sort of western culture forward because you know, as much as we're saying the West is doing all this stuff, we've also been the biggest in, inputters into the problem. Okay, that's so important. That was, I mean, that chapter is so important for me because um, India, there have been, there are brands in India, organisations in India that have been 
working with CSR at their heart for over 100 years, where they actually started from doing good for the local community rather than operating as a business. And today they are um, some of the, the biggest um, uh, biggest brands in India, where they are contributing vast amounts to the economy, which is then having this sort of knock-on effect for uplifting girls, um, um, hygiene, um, education. So I think we've got a lot to learn from India. A lot of their practices, not just yoga, but upcycling, have been part of that culture for a long, long time. Um, and sadly, through globalization, they are forgetting a lot of those um, those traits, those cultural, um, I would say, that, that gold. Um, and, you know, because now, you know, I'll just mention this story. I remember a couple of years ago, I was in India and a gentleman was walking towards me and I thought, oh, I recognize that jumper. Turn around the corner, and there was this huge Marks and Spencers. And I thought, now why would I want to see a Marks and Spencers V-neck jumper that you can just buy it? You know, I can buy here where I live. When India's got full, you know, it's full of these artisans and heritage and handloom, and um, and a lot of these um, these skills and crafts are being forgotten because people don't want that anymore, and that is the downside. Um, but that's where we can make a difference, yeah. um, marketeers, publicists, people working in the media. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I just, you know, I guess, you know, you discuss the expectations in your book of a, of a new workforce. Mm. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about this and indeed any impact that COVID-19 will have on that or has had on that since you wrote the book? Well, there's so much uh, since I've written the book. I mean, we're reading about it every day where people don't want to go back into the office. They want a different kind of lifestyle. They don't want to be traveling. I mean, when I wrote the book, there was some great data. Brookings Data Now, they did, um, they did some research. And by 2025, 75% of the working population around the world will be millennials. And millennials have a very different outlook. They want companies to be doing better. They don't just want companies to be doing better. They want to work for those companies. They want to work with companies who are driven by purpose. Um, and also recently, there's been some research done by an organization called Xeno Group. They did a global um, survey of 8,000 people from around the world, UK, US, Canada, India, France, Malaysia, Singapore. And what they found was consumers want to buy more from purposeful com uh, companies. However, at the same time, those consumers want those companies to be treating their employees better. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's, a, you know, there is a difference. And what that survey also showed is that 77% of people want the CEOs of companies to be doing the doing and actually encompassing the whole purpose of the brand. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's not just the workforce, it's consumers. It is. We, we're all in this together. They are. And I mean, Gemma and I have brought this up a number of times on the on the podcast. You know, we mention it in our book that it's it's the consumers want it. The employees want it. And the investors are kind of now yes. demanding it as well, you know, which is where some of the game changing starts to really happen, because then organizations 
the larger organizations have to start complying because it's becoming part of of what is expected and required so that's when that's when things let's talk a little bit about you know we've we've talked about uh, some wonderful examples of 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 learning from other parts of the country what, uh, uh, not the country the world what about csr corporate social responsibility what about when it goes wrong because i think there's there's been a lot of uh, recently a lot of um campaigns and a lot of brands that are kind of we, we keep talking about this this element of purpose and and some of that feels very authentic like you said in india some of these organizations started out just doing good business and have, have grown because it is good business is good for business yeah um, but now we've got big businesses kind of almost reversing into purpose or showcasing purpose that can sometimes seem a little manufactured, uh, aligning with brands or aligning with initiatives that don't necessarily go hand in hand, you know, and it it doesn't feel authentic. So from your media PR perspective, give us some ideas around what organisations really have to watch out for. Well, I think the main thing is, and we know there's nowhere to hide. I mean, when you're caught out, you're caught out. Social media has a very big spotlight. There is no stone to crawl under and um, you're caught out very quickly. And we've also seen since this lockdown, a kind of growing, maybe because we're all at home, we've got more keyboard warriors, but there is now a cancel culture. So um, I think if a brand is caught out, the best thing you can do is own up. Don't try to, you know, worm your way out of it. Own up, depending on what the situation is, you know, have an apology and say what you're going to put right, how you're going to do it and when. Um, You know, make sure, you know, you answer the when because that's what people want to see. They don't just want open-ended, bland statements. Uh, People want action. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think we've seen so, I mean, in in the last lockdown, we had Boohoo.com uh, mm-hmm. called out for how they were treating employees at that time. In the last couple of weeks, there was a great piece, I'm not sure if you saw it, in The Guardian about how there is now something called sports washing. We have greenwashing. It's where a lot of these sports, um, sports such as football, cricket, are uh, in bed with a lot of the um, big uh, brands that are not so doing so good by the, the planet. And uh, they've these kind of brands have replaced the tobacco um, companies yeah. that used to yeah. advertise with sports. So I think it all, there is also an onus on uh, the, the brands that are working with the companies to see whether the partnerships rely you know are are a fit there's synergy and you know there's ownership on both sides yeah you know with a with a brand whether it's it's a sport your your corporate social responsibility has to be at the heart of your business strategy then you'll make the right relationships then you'll make the right partners then your supply chain will, will just flow and it's the same with business you know it's not just a question of ticking those boxes no you have to have them embedded 
You do, you do. And, and like you say, it's, it, if you apply that lens to everything that you do, it, it, and if, you've, if your purpose, I mean, I think sometimes organisations, I don't think any organisation sets out, does it, to do bad in the world. It just sets out to, you know, and, and if, you, if we go back to the history of business, as we've discussed a few times, it was all about, as you said, in the organisations in India, it's about doing right by the communities that you serve. And when you do that and you build schools or you help out with sanitation or you help out and you, you help to grow and educate and serve and take care of and nurture yeah. the communities, then it comes back to you and it'll come back to you in, but of course we've got out of that, we've got out of that loop of business and it's become very shareholder value focused and um and so I suppose it's about organizations going back to the basics yes and it, you know it sounds a little bit woo 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 but yeah. there is an energy to this yeah you know that there is a natural cycle to this and when you are just automatically doing it well you're doing it with kindness it just flows. You don't have to work hard at it. People will naturally be talking about your business, your brand. They'll be saying how wonderful it is. Yeah. You don't have to look for the PR. And I think that's that's when it's, you know, when it's working at a completely different level. Yeah. And I think you give, I mean, I, I wrote this down because this just made me smile. But you give an amazing example. And I'll just read some stats out for Tom's. So 60 million pairs of shoes donated to needy children restored the sight to 400,000 people, wow. provided over 335,000 weeks of safe water to communities and helped 25,000 mothers safely deliver babies. I mean, if that isn't inspiring and giving back and business taking the lead and a solid example of driving change, I don't know what is. And that, that really just, I thought I have to write that down because yeah. that is... <laughs> It gives beautiful. you it gives you beautiful, doesn't it? It gives you goosebumps. Yeah. And also the other important thing is, you know, when we talk about CSR and we talk about stakeholders and your consumer is a stakeholder and the customer, and of course that's where you know marketing meets, the media meets, the consumer, they are they are listening, they are communicating, they're connecting. Of course, when we involve the consumer in the goodwill that we're generating, when they as part of that process with Tom's, it's the purchase of the shoes that drives this activity, that drives the good that comes out of their purpose. And therefore, the consumer plays a part. And how does the consumer feel about, therefore, being part of that cause? Very engaged, yeah. loyal, you know, all these things that we want to hear as a business, as a brand. And yeah. what's um, also one of the things that's coming out, I think from, again, maybe from this pandemic or maybe it was starting just before we went into the pandemic, but there is now a real understanding about community yeah. uh, with yeah. it as consumers and the relationship between them and a business, them and a brand. And we're seeing that when we've been shopping locally because we've been forced to, there's been, it's created that community and communities is a big thing. And, and, just since I've launched this book, I've come across so many amazing um, organizations, so many new businesses that are starting on the premise of creating a community rather than a product and then community. So it's they are they're building both at the same time. One great um, example of that is um, 
those guys, the Lou Roll guys, the Who Gives a Crap. I I really I don't know if you've seen them, um, Sangeeta, but they're a, you know they're the subscription, they're a disruptor in in yeah. the role, in the in the Lou Roll business, and it's a subscription uh, Lou Roll service, but. of their profits, so everything's made of bamboo, it's recyclable, it's either recycled or bamboo, it it gets delivered to you uh, in recyclable boxes and they've got lovely messaging and various bits and pieces. You see the good that is going on, they tell you the stories that is happening around the good that you're doing, again, engaging the consumer and uh, and it's a community. I now feel I'm part of this, who gives a crap? I do give a crap, you know, so that's, oh, that's a nice identity. I do care about what's going on in the world and um and of course that 50 percent of their profits goes towards building toilets and and solving the sanitation issues around the world and that's it they keep it very simple Mm. the consumer engaged so uh, you know and of course are they growing yes are they doing incredible work i mean they've donated millions and millions if not billions of pounds to to sanitation around the world so it's it's really heartening to see these brands coming in, disrupting and indeed getting those communities on board to really help to keep. And, and of course, I've shared the, the, what the work that they do into my communities. So my communities are now subscribing into their communities because it says something about me. And then they want to feel that same way. And, and it just starts to propagate, doesn't it? It does, because we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Exactly. And that's yeah. what these kind of businesses do. They they allow us to be part of something. Mm-hmm. And we feel with that that money that we're buying, you know, with our purchasing power, we're making a difference. Absolutely. And, um, and I, I think what's the, the downside is a lot of these products, which are fantastic, they're also very expensive. So it becomes, a, a, I think, in some cases, a class divide um, where it's the only a certain person that can make that purchase rather than it being available to all and I think that's the next thing we need to be looking at yes equal how how this how there is a just a play a level playing ground I have a question which sort of you touch on obviously the relationship with the media and you know certainly the media can be a PR person's best friend or absolute worst enemy. <laughs> um, do you think that sustainability has has made the relationship more tricky with between PR and the media? No, I think it's actually. Um, I mean, I've I've been in this for a long time, and I remember in the early nineties, nobody in the media was really interested about climate change. They weren't interested in those stories. And they would say, it's not relevant. You know, when you used to speak to the um, the Guardian or the, the environmental editor at the Telegraph, my, they would say, my editor won't carry the story. We, we like the story, but it's not relevant. Now that's changed. And every other day we're seeing a, a headline. And newspapers now have, it's no longer just the environment editor. We have sections dedicated to the newspaper and so it it allows us to get those stories out so I think there is a a healthy relationship Um, and also newspapers know what they do so much uh, research they know what consumers want to read what their readers are looking at and uh, and what you know what we want we we want to know about um, companies that are not doing well at the same time we also want the positive news I don't think we all just want the doom and gloom. No, no, need the hope. Either. 
No, <laughs> we love to end this podcast with three quick fire questions that we we kind of fire at all of our guests. And so I'm going to fire the first one at you, Sangeeta. Can marketing save the planet? What's your view going forwards? Not on its own. It can be part of the solution. Um, yeah, I don't think we can do it on our own. With some of many parts. Yeah, absolutely. And question two is, uh, what do you hope that business looks like in 10 years' time? Oh, so different to what it is now. (laughs) I mean, there's loads of things I want to say on this. One is that when uh, new businesses or old businesses are going to companies' house to file their annual returns, if you're a new company, you're ticking a box to say you have a commitment to CSR and you have it built into your strategy. And if you are an established company, you also file a return on what you've done that uh, financial year. And also, I would hope that we have more women uh, at the board. You know, we have more diversity, more inclusion. We're no longer talking about these things. There's only like 5% in the city. You know, I want to see more women. And because I, I do think, we've proven in in this pandemic that some of the the best leadership came from women who were in charge couldn't agree I'm more. not going to argue with that <laughs> no um and I, I guess I'll shoot in the final question here which is um if you were to give one piece of advice to others I'm going to change this one slightly getting started with sustainable PR what would it be uh, two very quick pieces one would be do your research keep your message simple. If the message is simple and powerful, half your job is done. Fantastic. Well, I've absolutely loved having you on the show. Thank you so much, Sangeeta. I really enjoyed your book. Um, I'm reading a lot around our subject right now. And so it was, it was great to read your book. And I, I, like I say, I, I, that diversity and thing, you know, we urge everybody to, to kind of open up your eyes to the reality of what people are doing around the world and, and the lessons that we can all learn. Well, thank I've you. loved, I've loved, um, you know, talking to you both. And thank you for having me. It's been great to talk to two fellow like-minded women. 